Can we thank uh, Andrew and Anna for just sharing their story with us? It takes a lot of courage for them to do that. I have had the privilege of uh, being able to walk with them over the past 18 months and just to see the front row seat to God, giving them a front row seat to his grace. And I am um, just so delighted for that. Uh, there, that's the story of Easter lived out in a real life right there. Um, and at some level, we all want a stronger life, a life that gets better, a good life. We want the life that comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, the good life. We were taught to dream about the good life uh, as young kids. We start in elementary school. Kids, there's a lot of kids in the room. Kids, let me hear you. Now's an okay time to scream. Just let me hear that you hear. Not as many kids as I thought were here. What did you do with your kids today? Kids, are you here? Okay, 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 good. Your parents are trying real hard to keep you calm. Uh, but I'm so glad you're here. Hey, um, here's what I want you to do, kids, because uh, I know you're here and I can hear you. Um, I want to know uh, what you want to be when you grow up. Parents, you, you know this question, right? It's a fun question. Kids, you got, you got like a thought in your mind of like what you want to be when you grow up? Okay, on the count of three, I want any, every, anyone under the age of, let's say, 13, just shout out what you want to be when you grow up. Ready? One, two, three. I heard Patrick Mahomes. That's awesome. Way to go. Way to go. All right, now let's do the parents. Parents, what do you want your kids to be when they grow up? One, two. I'm just kidding. I'm totally, I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. You don't have to. Your kids are right here. It's all right. Doctor, you're all thinking it. It's fine. We, we love this question of, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a fun question. It's a dreaming of the possibility. The good life exists where our dreams come true. That's, that's where we find our happy place. So, so we'll do everything we can to make our dreams come true. We'll study hard, even though we don't want to study hard, but we'll study hard to get a scholarship so we can go to college, so we can get the internship, so we can get the job that'll turn into the house by the lake with the two dogs and a kid or two kids and a dog. I don't know. It's your good life. You make it up. We'll try really hard to achieve what's in our dreams, but the problem is this. For anyone who's ever tried to um, walk the path of your dreams... It doesn't take long for you to realize that the good life can be elusive. That means it can be hard for us to grasp. It can be really difficult for us to live. If you've tried to um, solve your problems with money, there's no amount of money that ever seems to solve your problems. You remember what um, the famous, uh, more money, more problems, right? Some of the most miserable people in the world are lottery winners who hit it big and end up with more problems. Some of the most lonely people in the world are business leaders and CEOs. You would think that climbing the corporate ladder would be the way that you would achieve your success or your dream. But oftentimes, the dreams that we chase lead us into dead-end streets. What do you do when your dreams fade away? What do you do when your hope dies. You start to believe, you can believe, you can become disillusioned by your disappointment and believe that the good life isn't even a real thing at all. Now listen, none of this that I'm talking about is new. In fact, the first Easter so many years ago actually tells the story of two people who are walking the boulevard of broken dreams. You're welcome for that, some of you. They left 
the Jesus delusion that they had behind and they headed back home down this road to Emmaus. I'm going to be talking today out of a, a, a book of the Bible called Luke. It talks about Jesus. And the 24th chapter is where the resurrection happens. In the story, there's two disciples. Um, I'll give you their names. Uh, the text gives us one, and then we can actually infer the other. Uh, their names are Cleopas and Mary. Now, quick detail about these characters. Most historians believe that um, the Cleopas that's mentioned here in the Bible is the same Cleopas who is the brother of Joseph, the same guy who married Mary, the same girl who had the Immaculate Conception, the same person who we celebrate at the manger at Christmas. If you haven't checked into church since Christmas, you're, you're all cut up. All right, you're, you're back. You're back. That was your, your, your history lesson. Which is kind of crazy because um, if this is true, if it's true that Cleopas and Mary are actually the relatives of Joseph, that means that these are actually Jesus's aunt and uncle. It's kind of a crazy thought for many of us, but uh, historians best guess that's who these people are. Um, this is an astounding fact to me. The fact that um, Jesus' relatives had faith in him tells you something. I don't know anything about your relatives, but if they're anything like mine, I don't have faith in them. <laughs> and yet here is two disciples of Jesus, Cleopas and Mary. They are following Jesus. They were all in. They, they, they thought Jesus was the promised one. Jesus had all the marks of the Messiah. He was powerful and wise. He was loving. He was kind. He was good. He seemed to know God unlike anyone else. He was the one, the bringer of the good life, finally back to them. But then, on Friday, Jesus had died. They saw it with their own eyes. They were actually there. John, another author who records his version of what Jesus' life was like, he actually puts at the foot of the cross Mary, the wife of Cleopas, who would have been the sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus, together watched as Jesus, the hope of the world, died. They watched his good life and their hope for the good life fade away. And just like all the other disciples, Cleopas and Mary went back to their upper room on Friday night with the rest, to, rest of them to just run out the clock on the Passover. In their grief, in their sorrow, they were just waiting for the chance for them to move on with their lives or take the next step. But unlike the other disciples, Mary and Cleopas, when the women came back early that Sunday morning with the news that they went to the tomb and they didn't see Jesus, but what they saw was an angel who said that he was alive, Mary and Cleopas didn't react with glee and joy. They didn't, like Peter, rush to the grave to see for themselves. No, they knew what they had seen on Friday. They were more like you and me than anyone else in this Jesus story. They were rational. They had critical thinking skills. They had seen what death does to a body. It keeps them dead. No, instead of going to the grave to see for themselves, they decided to pack their bags and go back home, seven miles down the road to a place called Emmaus. I'm not great with geography, but I think that puts us if you're leaving Heartland and walking down the road of I-35, somewhere around um, the furniture aisle of Ikea. That's about how far you'd have to go on foot. You can make it there in an hour and a half. But they were sauntering along this busy road. Have you ever been so stricken by grief that 
like Anna said in the video, life starts to go in slow motion. And here are these disciples, possibly the aunt and uncle of Jesus, processing through everything that they had just seen, all of the craziness that had been told to them that day, walking, kicking the dirt, kind of slow motion style, wondering out loud, what was to be made, heads or tails, of this whole thing about these women going to the grave and not seeing Jesus? And they saw him dead. They saw him put in the tomb on Friday. They, they knew he was dead. Or was he? What, where would they ever find out? And it's at this moment, the greatest bit of irony in history uh, occurs. We, we know this because we're looking backwards at the account, but they didn't know this in the moment. A visitor walking the same road as them happened to show up, and guess who it is? It's the church answer. It's the safe answer. You always say his name and you're right. It was Jesus. Yeah. Luke tells us, the author of this, that Jesus himself starts walking with them as they're talking about the things that happened to Jesus. And, and Jesus looks at them and says, hey, what you guys talking about? And so struck by their grief, maybe it's because they didn't look up from the ground. Maybe it's because they were in a fog. They looked at him and said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? This is uh, literally uh, what they said. Look, it says uh, their faces were downcast and one of them, Cleopas, said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Translation for all of us. Have you been under a rock for the past three days? Which the answer is. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the irony is really rich, though. I mean, it gets better than that because we know who they're talking to. They don't know who they're, who they're talking to, but Jesus knows that they don't know that they're talking to Jesus, and he plays along with them. What's crazy is that um, they think they're so enlightened that they're going to enlighten Jesus, but Jesus is like, you have no, you're in the dark. You don't know anything. Let me enlighten you. And so just like the kind person Jesus is who's not you know, willing to, to, to shame us, he's, he looks at them and says, well, all right, what things have happened? And then, I love this part, because Cleopas is going to tell Jesus about Jesus. He says, well, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, this was our dream, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? It's the, everybody say it with me, third day since all of this took place. Um, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that the third day is kind of important. Like you probably have heard Jesus rose on the third day. On the third day. Jesus said this numerous times throughout his life. In fact, this is one of the things that makes me realize how deep into despair Cleopas and Mary must have been, that they weren't able to think clearly. They'd forgotten everything Jesus had told them. In fact, I, I kind of wish someone who was keeping the record of what Jesus said would have just been like, uh, hey guys, I, I got this note here from Jesus that says on the third day he's going to rise. Don't you think we should just go watch the tomb just in case? 
When Cleopas says it's the third day, what he means isn't some sort of like magical day when the fireworks are going to appear. He's actually thinking that three days is too long for a body to come back. It's been three days. This is not new news. We're processing the fact that our friend is truly gone. And in the midst of their pain, they walk along. And Jesus does something that is the type of thing that makes us really upset with Jesus, but it's for our own good. He looks at them and he says to them, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He actually says before this, you foolish people who are slow to understand the prophets. That's not really a very kind greeting along the road. But Jesus says, let me reframe for you your expectations of what it means to redeem the world. And so Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Some of us really don't like to study the Bible. That's okay. That's what I do for a living. I do that so that I can just explain it to you and you can know God better. This is kind of like my gig that Jesus is demonstrating how to do. And, and here's what, one thing that's really incredible about what Jesus does. He actually takes them back to the beginning. Moses and the prophets is actually code for Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to go through all of those. Um, you can go on YouTube and figure all that stuff out yourself. But um, he starts in the beginning and he shows them all of God's plan from earliest moments all the way from the moment when the snake deceived the woman to show that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. What we learn from this is actually that Jesus has always been the entire point of the Bible. That if you read the Old Testament by itself without understanding that it points to Jesus, you are reading it incompletely. One of our Heartlanders um, found out that I was going to be teaching on this, mess, uh, this passage today. And he told, he came, he's like, this is incredible. I actually commissioned a painting um, a couple of years ago by a local artist to depict this because it's such a profound, profound story in my life. And, and this painting is actually available. It's uh, on loan to us on the other side of the light box. You walk out these doors, kind of go around the light box, and it's just right there. You can see it for yourself. But um, he had wisely put in here a burning bush. One of our staff members today was like, I don't want to tell this guy he's got bad theology, but the burning bush is when Jesus is alive. <laughs> the point is that Jesus is explaining to them the fact that the, even the burning bush has trails that lead to him. In Exodus, he is the one who is the freer of the captives. In Leviticus, he's the true way to worship God. In Numbers and Deuteronomy, he is God's covenant impersonated. And then the prophets foretell of the one who's going to come and set the captives free and restore sight to the blind and heal the lame and cleanse the lepers. What Mary and Cleopas imagined was that this strong man was going to come, this, this God-sized figure, this great political leader. He was going to come and he was going to upset the Roman Empire. He was going to be so strong that even the power of Rome couldn't stand against him. And it was going to be a strong man who was going to conquer and then all the other strong people were going to go with him and rule. But what Jesus shows is that the Messiah had always been prophesied about to have to come and suffer first and then enter into his glory. Jesus must have explained to them the prophet Isaiah who starts in this kingly sphere saying the Messiah will come like one as a king, but then it ends, the second half of the book is about a suffering servant. 
And as Jesus is talking to them along the way and explaining to them the greatest Bible study that's ever been recorded in humanity, he gives them the keys to understanding who he is. The light bulbs still are not going on in Mary and Cleopas' mind. In fact, Jesus runs out the rest of the walk with them and, and they get to their town of Emmaus. Jesus, I love this little detail that Luke puts in there. He says, Jesus kept going on as if he was going to continue. I love that. That's the type of detail that lets you know like this was not AI generated. Like this is really an imperfect account of what Jesus actually did. He kept walking as if he was going to keep going. But he, he stopped and they called him and said, hey, because it's nighttime and these roads are dangerous at night, why don't you stay with us? We'll show you hospitality. We've got some food. Would you come in and eat with us and you can spend the night here and then keep going tomorrow. I love what Luke says. He says, so Jesus went in and stayed with them. They got to the table at dinner time. Before Cleopas could even stand to grab the bread to say thanks to God, Jesus beat him to it. Now, you come to my house and I smoke you brisket. First of all, apologies. Unlike every other dude in Kansas City, my barbecue's not that good. Humble enough to say it. It's not that good. But if I make you a meal and you grab the bread and you try and bless it before I do, we're fighting. That's not how it goes down in my house. My house, my grace. You know what I mean? Some, some people are coming over tonight for Easter dinner. You, you just let me do it. Right, this is what I get paid to do. I, I do two things. I show up on Sunday mornings and I pray. But there's this moment where, where Jesus, Jesus grabs the bread. At the end of the story, he grabs the bread and he takes it. And he lifts it up and he gives thanks for it. And then he breaks the bread. And Luke tells us, as he was beginning to give them the bread... Their eyes were opened and they realized that this whole entire time, the one they had been talking to, the one who was so near to them, the one who had such insight into the ways of God, the one who seemed to have this hidden knowledge, the one who was with them this entire time was actually Jesus himself. And I don't know what happened in the room. I think Cleopas probably dropped the fork. I think his mouth probably dropped as Jesus held out two broken pieces of bread. They had seen him do this just three nights earlier. Thursday evening, the last supper after the meal, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said these words, for as often as you eat the bread, do this in remembrance of my body, which is broken for you. And then this amazing thing happens. I can't explain this. I'm not even going to try. The Bible literally just says, and then Jesus disappeared. I don't know if we're talking Harry Potter invisibility cloak. I don't know if we're talking time travel. I don't know if they were just so stunned that Jesus was like, well, if you guys are in a trance, I'm going to see myself out. 
but he left. And, and it's in this moment at the table with another shock to their souls. They look at each other. They say, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and he opened up the scriptures to us? They look at each other, uh, Cleopas and Mary, and say, we knew something was going on. We didn't believe it. We didn't want to believe it, but we knew that there was something happening. This is truly God, the Messiah. He is truly alive. I can't believe it. Jesus, it's true. And here's what they do. This is, how, this is just incredible. The ones who left earlier in the morning to leave to go back home in their doubt. Jesus chased after them, showed up to them, revealed himself to them, came to their house and ate with them. And once they realized that he was truly alive, though it was dark and nighttime, they left their house. They climbed back up the hill to Jerusalem. They found the upper room. They knocked on the door. They stormed in and said, guys, it's true the Lord has risen. This is the story of Easter. It's true. We didn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. Dead people don't live. We denied it. We left it behind. We even were happy to go back to our homes to try and make sense of what life was going to be like into the future. But guys, it's true. The Lord we no longer call him Jesus of Nazareth. We no longer call him our little nephew Jesus. We call him the Lord, the Son of God, because he has risen. He's no longer dead, but he's come back to a new beginning, a new kind of life. This is the Easter story. This is what Easter is really all about. It's us finally being able to grasp the elusive. The life that we've always wanted actually exists on the other side of these words. It is true. The Lord has risen. Now listen, listen. No other version of the good life that you and I long for can compare with the good life that Jesus offers those who believe in him. This story is not just a story. This is history. This is fact that we believe because people saw and processed and recorded and passed down real events of a real resurrection. And what this means for those of us who are, you know, people in 2023, the skeptics among us, myself included, it means that because Jesus is alive, because the resurrection is a thing. We have to do something with Jesus. It is not enough just to come in and hear these words and to hear this story and to file it away in the compartment of fake news or to put this off to some other later point in your life. If this is true, there's a famous quote, I can't remember who says it, but it says, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, then nothing else matters. And if the resurrection of Jesus isn't true, then nothing else matters. The point of that is we have to do something with the offer of Jesus. What I want to offer to us today is to see the beauty of what this good life is that Jesus is offering us. What other life, I wonder, can amass billions of people across the globe to gather today on Easter in churches just like ours and in tiny huts in Africa and little house churches in China to celebrate one person who lived 2,000 years ago who have changed people's lives like you and me and my friend Andrew and Anna. It's, 
a life that is unlike any other. Let me give them to you here. The good life, it's a life, first of all, that is unbroken. It is a life that is unbroken. I don't know where you came from in your life today, but I know the brokenness that exists in my own heart. One of the reasons that the resurrection brings us hope is because it shows us that Jesus has the power over sin and death. These are the things that actually break us in the first place. Jesus' resurrection as a whole person shows us that not only can he bring us back to life, he can put us back together as whole people. I don't know anything else in the world, any band-aid that is big enough for my heart that can make me a whole person like Jesus can. What proved it to Cleopas and Mary, it wasn't the Bible study. It wasn't the testimony of their friends. It wasn't the announcement that there were angels involved. I mean, wow, come on. What proved it for Mary and Cleopas was the fact that Jesus took a whole loaf of bread and he broke it and he began to give it to them. It was in that moment of breaking that they recognized the fact that this was the whole Savior whose body was broken for them so that they could be made whole. This is what God does in the resurrection. Through his breaking of his body and the resurrection of that same body to new life, he shows us that those of us who are broken can be made whole as well. I don't know who first made the distinction, but um, it's been said that a resurrected body is not just a retrieved body. That is to say, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he didn't just go back and pick up his body that was laid there. Nor is it just a resuscitation. Resuscitations happen all the time. Maybe now right here, there's, uh, not here, but think, please, not here. But maybe somewhere today, there's a resuscitation happening right now. Someone's um, coming back their breath. The reason that Jesus stayed in the grave for three days is because it was believed that on the third day, your soul went to its final resting place. After three days, Jesus did what was cognitively impossible in the spiritual realm. He picked up his body in its new life with all of its scars and he walked out of the grave a whole person. He offers us then an unbroken life. You know, God can take your hardest moments. The things that you thought were gonna rip your life apart and he can turn them around by faith in him. What my friend Andrew said in the story was that God took the hardest thing he and his wife had ever been through, the hardest thing he had ever had to go through and acknowledge, the tough brokenness of life. When you know you're not as strong as you're pretending to be to others. But with trust in God, he said, God put them back together, I love his words, with the strongest glue possible. This is what the resurrection does. The good life is an unbroken Life, The broken bread, it is symbolic of the, the, the way that God paid for our sins, which broke us in the first place. And his resurrection, it's symbolic of the unbroken body because our sins have been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Sin has been defeated by his new life. And Jesus stands today offering us hands out uh, in the act of giving himself to us. If you could just see that it's true, he's alive. All you have to do to receive this healing in your heart is to 
believe that he rose from the dead. That's the first thing. The resurrection shows us that the good life is life unbroken. But the second reality we see from this story is that the good life is life unending. After I say what I'm about to say, you're all going to think you could do this. Okay, this is a kind of a no-brainer. Such an obvious statement. But to be resurrected means life keeps going beyond death. Period. All good with that? This is what fundamentally, though, this story is all about. This is the one thing that Mary and Cleopas could not get their head around was that life could possibly go on after death. They doubted this. They didn't believe in this. They just say dead people don't come back to life. They doubt the resurrection, mostly because they weren't looking for a resurrection. They were looking for a living savior, not one that was crucified. But once they heard Jesus explain the whole plan of God, they realized the defeated death Death defeated by the Messiah meant that life would be everlasting. I want, you know, Luke tells us that Jesus explained Moses and the prophets, but I wonder if Jesus also explained some of the things that he himself said to Mary and Cleopas. Things like, um, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Things like, I have come to bring you life to the full. Or whoever believes in me, though they die, yet they shall live. These are all statements Jesus made about the good life that he was bringing. It is a life that is unending. What hope does the resurrection, what hope does Easter bring you and me today when we find out the Lord is truly risen? It it brings us the incredible hope of the future. Many people back in Jesus' day ascribed to a type of philosophy that's very prevalent today. It's, it's called Epicurean philosophy. You don't need to know too much about it. They just believed that death was the final curtain. That once you died, you just closed your eyes and that was it. There, there was no more life. Even some Jewish people, they were called Sadducees. They believed there was no such thing as a resurrection. But the disciples in the upper room, when Cleopas and Mary knocked on that door and burst in and said, it's true, the Lord is risen, just as he said and revealed himself to to Simon. And they began to unfold to them all that Jesus had said to them on the road to Emmaus. Those disciples had to face the fact that Jesus was alive, that his life was now unending. Um, Their witness is proof that you and I are not just dust in the wind. But you and I are people who God has created to have an unending relationship with. Your life matters. Who you are, what you believe, and what you think about the God who created you is so important to that God that he made a way for us to have unending life where death no longer reigns over us. That's good news today. The resurrection makes all the difference in the world Um, I think whenever you have a loved one or or even yourself are facing the end of your life. Paul says that people who have hope in the resurrection will still grieve, but they will not grieve as people with no hope because we believe the good life is life unending. So the best is always yet to come. And finally, what this teaches us, the resurrection is good life that Jesus brings us 
not only is it life unbroken and life unending, but this is also life unimaginable. I can't think of a more rational group of people in the Bible than Mary and Cleopas. In fact, you and I approach the resurrection with a certain amount of 2023 skepticism. We would have probably reacted the same way that they reacted. Like, come on, really? But part of their problem, and it's ours too, is that we only believe in that which we can believe. Call it our own natural limitations of being human. That's how we operate. We only believe in the things that we can imagine or believe. The resurrection was unimaginable to everyone living that day. The resurrection is still unimaginable to many people today. We started just a few moments ago with kids shouting out what they want to be when they grow up and imagining the good life. And at the moment that we experience pain or suffering, we often give up on that dream. We often get callous to hope. We often stop dreaming altogether. In fact, I had one friend this week, I was talking to her and she said to me, she said, Dan, as a little girl, I learned that there was too much disappointment in the world and my situation was really tough. And so I, I just learned to not hope in anything. It was easier for me just to stop imagining a good life for myself. And so I just decided not to be disappointed. That way I wouldn't be let down. But listen, because Jesus has endured our pain and our suffering, friends, listen, we get his glory. We get his good life. We get our dreams back. This doesn't make sense, you say. Ah, but only if you're not listening to the story that God is telling. What we imagine is what Mary and Cleopas imagine, that God blesses and affirms the strong, the beloved. But Jesus was actually cursed and abandoned. And yet he was still the Christ all along. His suffering didn't negate God's plan. His suffering didn't negate God's purposes. His suffering didn't negate his glory. It's actually because of this suffering that Jesus went through that all of our suffering in this life is, the struggles that we face being human and frail, all of it is validated and vindicated in the resurrected Jesus. To the best of my knowledge, only Christianity has a true answer to the problem of human suffering. And that's because our answer isn't a fact, it is a person. We believe we can have unimaginable hope into the future despite this present pain, despite our present challenges, because we know the one who gives us a hope into the future came and had pain and suffering. And through it all, he paved a way by faith for us to have his good resurrected life. He gives us what we don't think we deserve. Um, you might be wondering what's going on with the Jesus first thing behind me. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, I say that very clearly because a lot of the things that we had kids write had to do with the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> and they're on there. But we asked, you'll, you'll see why that's funny in a moment. We asked our church, all of Heartland, we just said, um, hey, could you just take a moment to think about how have you seen God show up in your life lately? 
and hundreds of Heartlanders scribbled on note cards and dropped them off in baskets. We've taken all of those witnesses, those testimonies, those stories of hard things often that God had brought us through and was walking with us through. And we kind of just decoupage them all upon there and it forms the face of that piece of art. And we just re reminded of the fact that the resurrected Jesus gives us a hope, even in the trials, that God is with us and he wants to be seen. This is the story of Easter. This is the Jesus first life. This is the good life. This is what Mary and Cleopas' hearts burned towards while Jesus told them all about God's life that was unbroken, unending, and unimaginably good. The life their hearts longed for was given to them by Jesus, but it was even better than they imagined. Hope, forgiveness, joy, unending life. Jesus' resurrection is the only way to make sense of it all. And I think this is an invitation for us today that you can actually embrace this good life too. All that's required is that you believe. Believe what? Believe that it's true. But the Lord is risen. <laughs>